cliffcentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and cliffcentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on cliffcentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg and this is The Laws of Life on cliffcentral.com. Alongside me today, Lionel Makokutlela. Welcome, Lionel. Siakbona, Gary and Dumela to our listeners and our guest today. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're talking today to a man called Steve Parkinson and his legal advisor, Nicolette Russ of Solidarity. So, Solidarite. Is the correct pronunciation. Uh, the, uh, this is a case about a man who was fired for missing sales targets. Mm. And the law is so interesting. It really, really is. Uh, we're going to be talking about what, uh, when you can be fired. And uh, if, you, if you're just a poor worker, can you be fired? Obviously. What happens if the target set are unreasonable? Mm. Yeah, that makes a big difference. Uh, can you still be fired? And what happens if you just burn lazy? And you're not meeting your targets like I that am. are fair and reasonable. Yeah, can you be fired? So Nicolette Russ, she is an LLM, which means she has a master's degree, and in this case, in her case, it's in labor law, and that's exactly what we want today. She's also the. Are you an attorney or advocate? What do you? I am a practicing attorney, yeah. but um, for the union, I'm a trade union official. She's a trade union official of Solidarität. She's also a practicing attorney, and she represented our guest today, Steve Parkinson, right throughout. Steve, you were a member of Solid, Solid, Solid Solidarity? or were you, Solidarity, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a member of? Yes, yeah. I am. Yeah. Cool. Okay, let's talk to you about what happened uh, you were working for the uh, Damlin Group, the edu- part of EduCore. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, you were appointed from, I think it was the beginning of January 2011. Yes. Okay. What happened? Well, they uh, changed their sales targets. They increased the sales targets for, for new students by 168%, or sorry, 368%. Uh, which was an unreasonable target, and uh, it was said from the outset it's, it's a very unreasonable target and one that we can't make. Okay, so your your branch, the branch that you were appointed to run as general manager was the Boxburg branch. That's correct, yeah. And uh, we all know that Damlin has campuses throughout South Africa, including Boxburg, Benoni, and the Vaal, etc. Well, the funny thing is that the... Uh, about six months after they'd set my target, they uh, opened the branch in Benoni, which was only five kilometers away from Boxburg. Okay. Now, your contract of employment, I do have a, a sticky of it, and it says here, and I quote, the attainment of performance goals determined by the employer from time to time shall be periodically evaluated by the employee supervisor. And continued non-attainment of performance goals may result in the termination of his employment, which is quite scary, but that's, that's what was there. Yeah. Okay. So you knew about this, and you knew you had to get these goals. You had to perform. Sure. But, uh, again, at the, at the end of the day, they're talking about continued, not a once-off uh, uh, period. 
Okay, so Steve, let's understand it. There are. How do you get? Uh, how did Damlin get its business? Did it had to go? Did it have to recruit from matrix? Yeah, we we had to recruit from schools uh, in the area. Um, there was a certain number of schools that obviously we could go to uh, because there were um, obviously um, a lot of the other schools fell under other Damlin branches. Mm-hmm. So we were restricted in terms of the number of schools that we could go how to. How many schools were available to you to target in that area? Oh, I couldn't remember offhand. Um, okay. I, I know we. We did mention it in our paperwork. We we did have all the all the you numbers. Know, I, according to the paperwork, they uh, your employer said that they estimated there were fifteen thousand grade twelve learners in the catchment area for the Boxburg campus, and they said this would translate into ten thousand leads, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Now, when you took over, you found that that. Was not quite the position. There weren't that many students as as they no, set up. No, yeah. we weren't sure where they got their numbers from. But when we did our own research, we found that the number was much less, which of course was then diluted even further when they opened up the uh, the Benoni branch. Okay, so you started uh, at the beginning of January 2011. In uh, towards the first after the first week of March, you queried this target with them. You said, "Hold on." I don't see 15,000 employees. I don't think there are that many. There are less, and I'm not going to be able to make these targets. Yeah. Really, well, that's what you were, that's what you were going on. Yes. About, I just, I won't make it. Mm. And they said, well, you must be creative and you must canvas. And why don't you go to the Val area where there are schools as well with very little tertiary education? What was your response? In- well, the problem there is if, if I went to other areas, and obviously I'm canvassing for other Damlin branches because they're not going to go from the Val to Boxburg. They're going to go to Bramfontein or one of the other branches, which is closer to them. Did they, I mean, was this un- understood or not really? Were they still badgering you or pushing you to get the targets? They continued to badger and, and push for, for that specific target that they'd set. And I'm not sure, again, where they got that number from, but uh, the, the, the massive increase that they were expecting was unrealistic. Towards the end of that very year, the chief uh, commercial officer informed you that you were behind in your first year pre-enrollment compared to last year this time. And uh, which was completely unacceptable to them. They were very upset about that. And they officially informed you that unless by the 1st of December you didn't – if you didn't get your numbers up to to around at least a 30% increase, they were going to cancel your leave for November, December, and you would be given notice that they intend to dismiss you. But scary for you to have got that, wasn't it? Very scary. And, and um, again, it's an impossible target. How do you increase your, your sales by 30% in three weeks? They, they, they said that don't underestimate uh, their resolve. Well, this is the person who wrote to you. Uh, he's under immense pressure to ensure that they deliver, and he will have to carry through this process. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you, uh, in a letter dated 25th of January, which is a year after you started there, uh, you, um, in a letter dated so-and-so, addressed to Parkinson, this very Mr. Nolan set a target for the Boxburg area and so on, and it advised you that the situation is not acceptable and the level of your poor performance would not be tolerated. And this is what you were going through constantly. Yeah. Yeah, that you're, you are not performing, and if you don't perform, you're going to lose your job. Yes. 
Yeah. You, you were constantly under threat um, of losing your job um, just on, based on certain targets, not based on your overall performance. Couldn't that also be interpreted as constructive dismissal? Because you're now putting pe- pressure on people just so that at least they can, you can push them out. Darn good question. We're going to mm-hmm. talk to Nicolette mm-hmm. about that. Was this pressure so bad that he could have said, hard to prove constructive dismissal, but we'll talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. Keep that question. Okay. Let's just see what happened here. Eventually, you got some kind of letter that said, you have until the end of February 2012 to be at least on par with last year's numbers as at the end of February. And if you're not, we will take the necessary disciplinary action to dismiss you or redeploy you. And I think that was crucial. They said your numbers must be the same as last year. And I think that's what helped you, those words. Am I right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. Okay. So what happens was you you didn't you didn't make those numbers and they what did they do? They had a disciplinary. Yeah, they had a disciplinary hearing but it was basically a sham. There was a foregone conclusion. Um we 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 had the the disciplinary hearing. The person in charge of the disciplinary hearing happened to lose his computer. So um we, they they lost the um, paperwork from the hearing and they couldn't present the, the paperwork And but I was just informed telephonically that I was fired When did you get hold of uh, Solidarity? Well the moment I was informed that I was fired then I got hold of Solidarity and, and informed them of what had happened and um, we we then took the matters further, or solidarity then took the matter further. Was Nicoletta involved from the beginning? Or did she come in later? Initially, it was with um, the, my contact, if you like, at at solidarity, yeah. and then Nicolette came into the into the scene for after after the CCMA case. Um, when you went to the CCMA, were you accompanied by solidarity? Yes, I was. Yeah. yeah, they went through that process with you. Yes. Now, what did the commissioner say? At the CCMA. You couldn't resolve this, obviously, so some witnesses were called. You gave evidence, and their two people gave evidence. They they brought some people in to give evidence, and they were questioned and cross-examined, and I was questioned and cross-examined. And then the commissioner then gave a um, their, their ruling a couple of weeks later, or a few weeks later. What was the ruling that the dismissal was fair? They, yeah. yeah, they said that the, the that the dismissal was fair, which was basically contrary to all the evidence that had been given. What did you then do? Solidarity then advised that we needed to take the matter further to uh, to the labour courts, yeah. um, which is, I think, when Nicolette actually stepped in. If you didn't have them behind you, you probably would have lost it and, and walked away and said, well, that's it. I think the, the, that's the biggest problem with cases like this is that uh, as an individual, you don't have the resources to actually take on big companies. Um, but if you're obviously, if you're part of a union and the union believes you do have a case, then they will take that case further for you. So they did, and they took it to the labor court, Yeah, and uh, it went before Judge Blizzard, I think. That's was, correct. Yeah. Were you, did you argue the matter? I did argue mm. the matter, yes. What did he say, the judge? Judge Blizzard considered all the facts. Uh, looking at the evidence that was presented at the commissioner, and considering that one should look at senior employee and poor performance, and then one should not forget that although you're a senior employee, you're still entitled to procedure that needs to be followed. 
um, the letter that was also submitted that was in, uh, assumed of being a final written warning by Damlin uh, was not a warning. One should inform an employee exactly and also provide him the opportunity to state his case before a sanction is issued to him. So just Blizzard was quite well in our favor that uh, an employer is not absolved from following a procedure with a senior employee. According to the uh, judgment that I have in front of me, they say it is common cause that Parkinson was dismissed. And I think, sorry, you went on a, uh, the, the, the labor court held in your favor. Yes. Yes. And held against the CCMA. Correct. And the labor court found that he should not have been dismissed. That's correct. Yeah. So who took it on appeal then? Damlin took it on appeal. And they went to the Labour Appeal Court. That's correct. They first asked for leave to appeal, which was granted to them, which is accepted. Um, And then they went further to appeal uh, before the three judges, and that is when we got the outcome from the Labour Court appeal, which was also in favour of solidarity. Good. That means that you, you, it was found that Damlin were incorrect. That's correct. What's the wording, actually, the correct wording? The correct wording is that the dismissal of Mr. Parkinson was substantively unfair. Um, They went further stating that they don't see any reason why Mr. Parkinson should not be reinstated. Does that involve money? I mean, you were reinstated. That meant that you were entitled to be reinstated. Am I right? That's correct. Did you go back? Um, Or did you settle? If I may interrupt, Um, they did indeed. From the start, we informed the judges that Mr. Parkinson uh, got another offer or another employment. Um, Obviously, by doing that, he limited his risk and damages during these years because this matter took quite a while since 2012. So it seems like they didn't consider the fact of the employment. And the the attorneys the next day uh, asked Mr. Parkinson to please report for duty. Now, considering the another employment that he has, um, Mr. Parkinson submitted his resignation, and we are still dealing with the reinstatement issue regarding the compensation part, as the judges did not mention or specify compensation. Um, then there is case law that deals with reinstatement and whether back pay should be applicable when the judges only talks or refers about to reinstatement. Is that is that aspect still continuing? That aspect is still continuing. We are currently uh, referred a matter to the labour court to deal with the back pay compensation. Okay, let's talk about what poor performance is. Mm. Um, I have a lazy employee who I give a, a simple set of, of uh, whatever. I tell him you've got to sell so many encyclopedias in the month and he doesn't. I know he's lazy. Is that poor performance? Poor performance... Yes, if one looks at lazy employee, but it is obvious that an employer should evaluate his employees, know what's going on in your company, um, look at situations that are applicable to your company. So when one deals with a lazy employee, you should consider calling him in for counseling. Uh, see what is the problem? Where is this problem? Is the problem with the employee himself or whether it's with the employee? And that is why the Act provides for counseling procedures, formal counseling, informal counseling. And then there's a time whereby employer comes and decides, but we 
did everything that we could mm-hmm. from our side. We provided all resources that are applicable, and still we have the poor performance employee. So if one looks at this, reasonableness is the main criteria that one should go and look at. Um, whether I act as an employer, act reasonable in uh, uh, dismissing an employee regarding poor performance. Sorry, just to jump yeah, in. Yeah, Remember the last time? Yeah, yeah. The last time we actually had the people who actually had that neural problem where they actually would fall asleep during working just because they they had a problem. So do you consider that because that to other people they might consider them as lazy? That's more a way of incapacity. Mm. Um, then your employer should be informed. I have this problem. Um, also submit proof that or uh, doctor's uh, report stating, but I have this problem. And then the employer should understand that alternatively provide alternative times or alternatives within the workplace for that employee. But that not necessarily doesn't go to poor performance. Nicolette, let's talk about targets now. Yes. Can I as employer unilaterally set targets or do I have to do it in consultation with my employee? To set targets is a discretion within the employer. Um, he's internally part of the company. He knows exactly what's going on in the company. But when considering targets, he has to look at the external circumstances, external factors that has, is going to have an impact on those targets. So when I set a certain target and I'm going to change that target, I should at least inform my employees to, and also provide resources that this is the change to the targets. That's the reason for the change to these targets the assistance from our side would be this to at least reach those targets so it's a discretion but that discretion should be executed reasonably okay so the goals as well must be reasonable and attainable you can't just set a target that's crazy and i think that was what steve's issue was all along the targets were unreasonable so what should happen if an employee who's a salesperson says listen these targets are useless i can't i can't maintain this or i can't achieve that Mm. should the should the two of them get together and work out why and deal with it yes How, how should it be done practically yes they should evaluate the target so the moment that the employer is informed about the problem about the target um, a counseling meeting or an informal meeting should be held between the parties and the first thing or first step that the employer should do is what can I do from my side to assist this employee um, evaluate the targets look at the external factors am I reasonable in this state so definitely there should be a, a channel of communication between these two parties Yeah, you just can't badger the employee and keep going on at him that you're not maintaining targets, scream and shout at him when those targets are just not achievable. Correct. Um, I know we spoke about the lazy employee. There's a thin line here because sometimes people are just lazy and they don't want to do the job and then they say, well, I can't achieve the targets. Correct. So, you know, you probably, you are acting for the employee most of the time. If I spoke to a lawyer that was acting labor lawyer for employees, he'd say, listen, we've got to be tougher on these employees. A lot of them take advantage of the of the situation. Correct. But what I think the difference to Mr. Parkinson was he did everything from his side to inform the employer, listen, there's a problem. Look at the 
this. Look at this. Um, the, the campus, Benoni campus that opened or reopened, which is close to Boxburg. And if one consider what students, the mind of students work, if I stay in Benoni, I would rather go to Benoni than Boxburg. So reasonable, as I said, is uh, the main criteria and what the employee also did from his side to inform the employer there's a problem. I'm struggling with these targets. Lines, let's take your earlier question. Do you remember it? I do. Yeah. 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 Constructive dismissal. Yeah, couldn't yeah. that be also be regarded as constructive dismissal? Because most people really want to put people between a hard place and a rock and really push them down just so that within that pressure they decide to ship out. There's a thin line between this. Um, I won't normally advise employees to follow the constructive dismissal route. It is very difficult to prove the criteria of constructive dismissal because when you deal with constructive dismissal, it's not the employer that took the step to dismiss the employee. It's the employee that decided himself, but I can't proceed with this employer. So... At this stage, there was still the opportunity for Mr. Parkinson to give his best, to inform the employer, to try and reach these targets. So the question that one should ask is, was this so unbearable that I could not proceed with my work? Um, grievances, I have to submit grievances before I can just convert to constructive dismissal. So there is a fine line, but at this stage, I wouldn't have suggested that, that Mr. Parkinson was at that stage that it could have caused uh, been constructive dismissal. May I talk to you for a moment? About solidarity, um, I read somewhere, and maybe on your web off your website, it says that the legal department of the trade union is the largest of its kind in all South African trade unions and one of the largest labour law practices in South Africa. Yes, um, Skokent. I, I, I thought jeepers, that's that's big. Um, here's something they say that jelle behartig op enige gegevenheidsstepsu wat fourteen hundred zaken namens lede. You're doing at any one time fourteen hundred cases labour matters. That's correct. On yes. behalf. Members. Yeah. What is it? Uh, who can be? Is jelle verbind aan enige? Politica party of no nothing. Um, some Are you attached to any political party? No. no. Um, the main, the aim of solidarity. We are a union that has. Christian principles um, and we have members we invite all members or uh, uh, the public become a member of solidarity and we deal with your matters uh, and we are neutral we do not form part of any political party uh, is it a secret what your membership fees are no, the yeah. membership fees is public. It is on our website. We are also, we have Solidariteit Wereld. Mm -hmm. um, if any public wants to know what's going on in Solidarity, contact details or wants to some advice, there's even a big call center available. So it's wide known what the fees for Solidarity's memberships are. Is the perception that it's a white trade union or is that, was it that and now it's not? No, there's no such perception. We don't have any line or 
a, a criteria process that you have to go through before you become a member. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's open for the public. If you want to become part of uh, Solidarity, you pay your membership. And if you cons- have a problem sometimes with your employer, we will obviously consider the facts of that and decide how we will deal with this matter. But there's absolutely no attachments to or, or, or uh, any factors that needs to be present to become a member for Solidarity. Yeah, are they handling 1,400 cases at any one time on behalf of uh, labor cases? Yes. That means that people really need your help on these labor issues. That's correct. And I can see that Steve got it. You took him all the way to the labor appeal court. Yes. Or, or they took you, Steve, and you followed through and you helped him. That's correct. And you got him his result. That's correct. So that's, uh, that's, what a la- that's what we expect from a labor union when we're paying our membership fees. That's correct. Yeah, well done to you. Thank you. Just quickly, uh, Rockstar Prosecutor Gerry Nell <laughs> has moved, resigned from the state to join every forum. What, any idea you want to throw? What do you think of that? I think it's a good asset for our free forum, um, especially with the experience that Harry Nall gained over the years within the prosecution. And that's something that uh, needs some uh, experience in within solidarity as well, because we always only read from theories or from the other attorneys. But Harry Nall can be there to actually to share his knowledge that he gained. Yeah, I think a lot of private prosecutions are going to take place on this one, and I think that's what it was designed. That's what they—that's what they got him there to do. That's is great. to prosecute people that the state declines yes. to prosecute. Fairness yeah. in law. We've been talking to a lady attorney, and uh, she has a, her LLM in uh, labour law. It's Nicolette Russ of Solidarity. People can get hold of you there at Solidarity. That's correct. You get paid, uh, forgive me, but uh, you're a lawyer that works for them instead of working in private practice. Is that more or less how it works? Or do you have private practice? How does it? I don't have a private practice. I only work within Solidarity. Um, The experience is phenomenal and the growth potential as well. I get many questions. Why don't you go into the practice? It's great out there. But the, the experience that you gain in Solidarity and the the, the, uh, how you deal with the matters um, and also the opportunities that are granted are phenomenal. I read that you have 20 offices countrywide and you serve by more than 300 staff members. That's great. And there are 1,275 union representatives in thousands of companies. You are very interesting. Steve, uh, are you getting your dang, you got your dang court? Or did you get your co- pound of flesh, or is that not? Well, that we're still waiting for. We're still waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, many thanks for coming through and sharing the story with us. We like to have people telling their story, and then we follow it up with the law, and it it makes it more interesting and understandable. Lines? Oh, certainly. It's quite ironic that we're talking to Stephen. Last week we, we had a case about F and B. Stephen F and B. How can we help? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But needless to say, thank you very much for sharing your experiences, and we love the work that you're doing. Keep on doing the good work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you to both of you and to our listeners. Thanks for listening. And until next Tuesday, 12 noon. Valentine's Day. Yeah. Are you going to be wearing red? Uh, Well, maybe. We'll see. (laughs) I've just got to get someone to give me something. uh, (laughs) Cheers. Cheers Cheers till then. Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life. With Gary Hertzberg on cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com.